0: What now? We are in Matthew 24. As you go to Matthew 24, there's also an insert in your bulletins for this digital citizenship workshop, which will be March 11th at 7 p.m. This is for parents and their uh, children to attend together. Um, If your children use tablets, phones, the internet, and this is for you, just to help give you tools that are going to help you both navigate this um, in a really safe way. Uh, I really commend it to you. Also, many of you guys know that uh, my book came out just a couple of weeks ago, and I know a number of you are reading the book, And so, uh, but I wanted to give a couple of uh, free copies today. Uh, So if you'd like to get a free copy, you could raise your hand. And uh, Joe, yeah, just keep it raised real quick. And then Joe is going to make the choices, okay? So you're in Joe's hands. (laughs) Oh, man, look at that. So at 1030, he went down. Just so you know, at 1030, he just went straight down the middle. So he's deviating from his pattern, okay? So, oh, man. But listen, there's only three copies here, but there are many more on Amazon. So, um... Yes. Okay, very good. Well, uh, as Joe keeps making his way around, uh, we are going to go to the Lord in prayer. Man, people get excited about free anything. You know, it just doesn't matter what it is. It's like, um, no, but let's, let's focus our hearts on the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we come to your word now as hungry children seeking to be fed as blind men and women who need light as eager students seeking wisdom we come as good soldiers needing to be equipped for the battle and the mission you've entrusted to us so lord pour your spirit on us that our trust in you and your servant jesus christ might grow and have no rival we want no rivals to you god in our lives We know that there are so many voices constantly coming, seeking our worship, our full allegiance. And we need the power of your Holy Spirit and the discernment that we receive from Scripture to be able to say no. So our presence here is an exercise in saying no to ungodliness and yes to our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So if they say to you, look, here he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The word of the Lord. When a baby is ready to be born, the mother goes into labor. Now I know that we know a lot about labor in this room. Although I should say the women probably say we is the incorrect term. Uh, A lot of the women in this room know a lot about labor. So we're going to talk about labor. Now, I know that I'm a man, and I know that I'm entering into delicate territory, okay? Lots of emotion accompanies this topic. and so. But I'll just tell you that much of what I'm going to say was informed by my wife. Uh, And I'll also add that I was there. Um, (laughs) I was a helpless spectator, but I was there. So I've told you parts of this story before, but uh, Anna had spent about 18, um, you know, the the Going into labor for Anna with our first child was the trickiest because the experience was completely new. And so she'd been in, uh, on bed rest for about 18 weeks. At week 38, she, she woke up not feeling very well. And so she called her doctor who told her to come into the office later that morning. Uh, she already had an appointment with him Anyway. And so, um, but she kept not feeling very good. She, she wanted water on, uh, falling on her lower back. She wanted me to rub it. Her parents came and, um, and, and her mom started timing contractions. And as things got more and more intense, it seems that the presence of her father and my presence really bothered her because she's like, what are they laughing about? It's not time to laugh. And uh, now I don't recall what we were laughing about, but I do acknowledge now that it was no time to laugh. And so as things are getting really intense for her, I one point she says, I need to push. And her mom says, don't push. And so her dad goes and gets the car and we drive to the hospital. Anna just bolts out. She's waddling down looking for the elevator. I follow her. And so we get to the elevator and in there she like, gets on her knees as a strong contraction comes over her, and I um, am, I felt totally, I was totally useless, and um, so then the elevator doors open up to the maternity ward, and she just starts screaming, I need to push, I need to push, to anyone who would listen, and the nurse checks her and says, yep, you sure do, this baby's coming out. So we learned that Anna went through transition in our living room, which was not the plan. Now, I say all that, I wanted to start with that story because we continue our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. We're looking at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 and 25, uh, the Olivet Discourse, where he tackles the disciples' questions about the destruction of Jerusalem and his return and the end of the age. And so the disciples ask him for a sign of his return and the end of the age, but Jesus first tells them and gives them many non-signs. We talked about this last week. He tells them there's gonna be things like, wars and famines and betrayals and persecutions, and this is just part for the course in the inter-advent age, which is inter means between the advents, his first and his second, so it's the whole church age. They can expect all of these things. He tells them, you're going to see these things, but the end is not yet, so don't be alarmed, don't be deceived, and then he says, these are but the beginning of the birth pains, verse 8, birth pains. Jesus uses labor pain to describe the inter-advent age, and it's very fitting. When a woman goes into labor, there's pain, constant pain, but then that pain spikes, right? When a contraction gets really intense, I see some nods from the women, thank you, and then, but then it comes back down, and then they go into transition, and that's when the pain becomes unbearable. That's when they start screaming at their husbands, why did you do this to me, right? And so as the disciples, Jesus is answering the disciples' questions. He he uses this term of birth pains to describe what they can expect from the first time of his coming until his return. And that's precisely what we have in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 28. He tells us there are going to be wars and famines and impostors and all of these things. But then we have verses 15 through 21 within that larger speech where the pain, the suffering, the persecution gets particularly fierce. That's when the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple takes place in AD 70 by the Romans. And so we're going to look at that in greater detail. So first, know that suffering will come. Look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Now, we said last week that that word tribulation is the same word for distress, for affliction, and that characterizes the entire church age. But here he speaks of great tribulation, intensified distress. Now, the abomination of desolation is a phrase that appears four times in the prophet Daniel. An abomination is something that's repulsive, something that's disgusting, totally defiling. It refers to an event that is so corrupted, so unthinkable that it leaves devastation, desolation in its wake. Now, commentators agree that this phrase mentioned in Daniel 11.31 was fulfilled in the year 168 BC when Antiochus Epiphanes, which was a Greek king of the Seleucid kingdom, came into Jerusalem and completely desecrated the temple. Now, I'm going to read you the part of Daniel that speaks of this. This is in Daniel 11.31. He says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. Now, the first book of Maccabees is not a book that belongs to our Bible, but it's a holy Jewish text. That book records what happened during um, Antiochus Epiphanes' plunder of Jerusalem. So I want to read you the section from that. This is from the first book of Maccabees, chapter 1. Here's what they say. Now, on the 15th day of Kislev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah and offered incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. The books of the law that they found, they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone who adhered to the law was condemned to death by decree of the king. So... It became a capital punishment to adhere to Jewish law in Jerusalem, in their own land. They kept using violence against Israel, against those who were found month after month in the towns. On the 25th day of the month, they offered sacrifices on the altar that was on top of the altar of burnt offering. We learn from other texts that the sacrifice that they offered was offered to the Greek god Zeus. So just try to Picture this. This is within the Jerusalem temple, the temple being the most sacred place that the Jews had. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And I won't read the next piece because there are children here. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the Holy Covenant, and they did die. Very great wrath came upon Israel. So the memory of this event is still living for the audience that Jesus is speaking to. This had happened just under 200 years from their time. So think civil war for us. What Jesus makes clear here in Matthew 24, that there's another abomination of desolation coming. And they need to be ready. In Luke 21, Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now, from a historical perspective, in AD 33, the Roman general Pompey captured Jerusalem. Tensions between the Jews and the Romans were ever-present for one reason or another. Uh, The Jews insisted on worshiping one god. The Romans pushed for the worship of many gods. There was some toleration toward the Jews with their belief, but they were seen as very odd. And that to- toleration went only to a point, as long as there were, everything was status quo. But there was also heavy taxation from Rome. The imperialist thumb of Rome was always present. And so all of these things led to the first Jewish revolt in AD 66, where a number of Jews tried to just rid Israel of rome now of course we know rome was mighty they never took anything lying down and so they retaliated which led to a multi-year siege and it was horrible food supplies were cut off the slaughter was savage people were starving to death eating their own offspring the majority of the population in jerusalem was destroyed killed and finally in ad 70 the temple was destroyed, never to be rebuilt. And so Jesus is warning his followers that this event is coming and they need to flee. He says, anyone who lives in Judea, flee to the mountains. If you're on the top of your house, take off. Don't even think to go back and get your things. If you're in the field, take off. Don't even think to go back and get your clothes. It's going to be especially hard for pregnant women, for those who are nursing babies. It'll be very hard to flee in the winter. We know winter, we can imagine how hard it would be to try to flee with your family, without cars, just without preparation, leaving in winter. He says it will be hard to flee on a Sabbath. Why? Because many devout Jews, which is what the early Christians in Jerusalem were, would not want to break the Sabbath. Or would be tempted to only want to walk the distance allowable on a Sabbath. And there would be very few people around and willing to help on a Sabbath. So he says, pray. Pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. And then he finishes his section in verse 21 by saying, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Now we know from history that there have been many more people killed in the various wars uh, throughout the last 2,000 years, but not the high percentage of the total population of one great city not so thoroughly and horrifically executed and enslaved church history tells us that many christians did heed jesus warning and they fled around the year ad 68 so right around the middle of the siege but before it was too late and then a couple of years later the temple was destroyed Let's go on to the next verse. Trust the sovereignty of God. He goes on, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Okay, so having just finished the description of this intensified distress, he now returns to some of the themes that he has been speaking about, describing the whole inter-Advent age. And here he injects a much-needed positive note. As we said last week, this is a very hard speech. It was hard last week. It's hard today with the words that we just read. And so Jesus reminds his disciples that God is sovereign, that none of this is haphazard, and as a matter of fact, that God will not let things get as bad as they can. He says that for the sake of the elect, the days will be cut short. It seems that things could get so bad that no one would be saved. Now, we can think of all the bloodshed in the last 2,000 years, just the 20th century alone. Two world wars, more Christian martyrs in the last century alone than in the 19 other centuries combined. And we can begin to think that things are only going to continue getting worse and worse. It's just going to get so, so bad. But then something happens that turns the tide you know during world war ii by 1940 nazi germany clearly had the upper hand with victories against poland and denmark and belgium and the netherlands even france only the united kingdom stood in their way and if you read books or watch movies from that period you know how dire the situation was for churchill and for britain but then In 1940, it's called the Battle of Britain, there was this air invasion that became a total disaster for Germany. And the morale for the British military and just the British public in general just grew. So everything seemed so hopeless, so bleak. But then there's this event, this miraculous event, and the tide begins to turn. Here's the thing. Here's where my concern is for us, is that we will allow the news and the cultural events around us be the thermostat that set the temperature for how we feel, what we think is going to happen, the things that we're fearing, as if God was not in charge, as if our God was not the one who runs the world. Isaiah 40, 15, the prophet says, the nations are like A drop from a bucket. When was the last time you were concerned about a drop of water in a bucket? Then he says, the nations are regarded as dust on the scales. Do you hear that? Dust on the scales. Now, I know that for most of the things that we buy in our lives, they're not weighed on a scale. The only time that that happens for my family is when I take my girls to the mall and we go to the candy store. And we get these little bags, and we fill them with that sorted candy of all sorts. And then you take it to be weighed. It's about $8 a pound or something. But I know that when, when we go there, uh, I know that the scale that they weigh my candy on has dust on it. Because I know how dust works. It's everywhere, right? But I've never said to the worker there, Hey, would you please wipe the dust of the scale before you weigh my gummy worms? Never. Why? because it's negligible it's negligible and that's what the prophet isaiah says the nations are they're negligible in all their power and plotting god is in charge so why do we start acting like the left is in charge or like the right is in charge why do we talk or fear like the big tech companies of the world run it God is in charge. As a matter of fact, if, we, if you were to study history, the book The Black Swan would help you with this, but if you were to study history and all the events that have come about that turn the tide, that turn this, the, the course of history that no one could have predicted or prepared for, we would either freak out when we realize how little we control or we, w- we would give up the presumption of control And then just simply trust God who is the one writing the script. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do them. So trust the sovereign hand of your God. Let nothing shake you. And finally... Realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. I just love this. His return will be unmistakable. Look at verse 23. He goes on, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So here Jesus returns to what he talked about in verse 5 Imposters are nothing new, they're like roaches, they never go away. But there's something that I want us to notice about verses 23 and 24. This is very important. In verse 24, he says that false Christs and false prophets will come, and even with great power, he says they'll perform great signs and wonders. He says, don't believe them. But then he says in verse 23, in verse 23 he says that there are people who are gonna say, look, there's the Christ. Look, there he is. And he says, don't go out. Don't believe it. Here's what we have to put together. False teachers will always be around. But are we the gullible people who spread their message? False teachers would go nowhere if they didn't get a hearing. There's one commentator who says this. This is very important. Empty-headed credulity is as great an enemy of true faith as chronic skepticism. Christian faith involves the sober responsibility of neither believing lies nor trusting imposters. What's he saying? The Christian faith is undermined not only by skeptics, but also by unthinking Christians. Christians who become peons to some specific group's ideology, whether to the left or to the right. But it's not just political. It could be a social or scientific or philosophical or even religious movement. And if we take Jesus' words from last week and we add them to these this week, we see that this was no small concern for the Lord. He knows that people are gullible and that other people prey on that gullibility. And I think that we need to pay special attention to this very thing now when there is so much misinformation and so much information going around. Before you post something, before you post something, before you forward something, do you know and trust the sources? And I don't just mean, do you know the person that forwarded it to you? (laughs) That's just another link in the chain. Do you know where it comes from? Who the people are what their agenda is what presuppositions they have otherwise you're going to become their evangelist you're just spreading their message we cannot be unthinking this is a big deal so post less forward less read more research more and by the way doing a google search that's not research That's me search, right? I'm just finding stuff that sounds good to me. But Listen, you guys, this is a big deal. Because here's the thing, people's minds are, are gullible. We have feeble minds. We have all kinds of fears. We start hearing things happening. We start adding all kinds of things. Ooh, but if this, then if that, then if this, then if that. And that's the kind of environment where false teachers love to come in and be your savior. They're going to explain for you what's going on. They got the key. They got the, 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 the no. And you just, you know, and it's going to touch something in you. And you're going to start being like, whoa, wow, ooh, yes. Here, I got to send this to Billy. I got to send this to Julie, whoever it is. And we're doing what Jesus says in verse 23 people are going to do. Look. And he says, don't believe it. Don't go out. So he says, I've warned you beforehand. He forewarns us so that we will not be shaken or led astray. Let's wrap this up. He's not even done. He keeps talking about the very same thing. He's gonna die in two days. This is how important it is to him that we not be these people. Verse 26, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Listen, when Jesus came to earth the first time, very few people, very few people knew he, he was here. The shepherds went and found him. The magi inquired and found him. But the majority did not know what was taking place, that God's long-awaited Savior was finally among us in the little unassuming town of Bethlehem. The next time he comes, that will not be the case. It will be clear and plain for all to see. His arrival will be a showstopper. You think COVID was a showstopper? You think COVID brought this whole thing to the whole world? It's nothing. It's a drop in a bucket compared to the arrival of the Lord, which means that there's no need to go looking for him to try to put A, B, and C together so we can figure it out. That's precisely what he's saying we're not to do. We have one teacher, one Lord. We listen to him. There's all these other imposters I want to interpret the times for you. Do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets should never get a hearing. They cannot match the splendor of Christ coming back. And we're talking more about this next week. I can't wait. They cannot match it. He says, for as the lightning, just listen to what he says in verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. During his first visit, Jesus mostly concealed his glory. Next time, his glory will be on display for all to see. First time, he came as a baby, helpless. Next time, he will come as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. First time... Only a few in Israel knew it. Next time, the world will bow. The world will bow. And so, it will be unmistakable. It will be impossible to miss. That's the meaning, I think, of this gruesome little proverb he finishes with in verse 28. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, our house was the last house. And there was this open field that was all dirt. And in my memory as a kid, it was huge, you know, but you know how that is. probably isn't. You know how that is, how you remember your childhood. You know, it's like your car, rearview mirror. Objects in my kid memory may appear larger than they really were, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it was amazing to me how often there would be a dog or a cat that would die, and in no time, the vultures would just swarm the thing, tear it open, and it'd be gone. Again and again, this would happen. They were like the roadkill cleanup crew, but they didn't do a great job. They left bits and guts and horrible things around, but that's, I think, what Jesus is saying is it's impossible to have a uh, corpse and not have vultures gathering quickly, That's how his coming is going to be. It's going to be impossible for Jesus to return and anyone to miss it. So what he's saying is don't be deceived. Don't fall for false Christ, false news, fake news. We talked last week about how in this discourse, Jesus is doing a number of things. One of them is he's introducing delay. Delay for his disciples between his first coming or the destruction of Jerusalem and his return. Because to them, these are one and the same. He says, no. He's tempering their expectations. But another thing that he's doing with this discourse is he's introducing suffering. Suffering for the inter-advent age. Suffering in their experience of the reign of God in their lives. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. That's what he's saying to them. That's what he's saying to us. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. The disciples followed Jesus because they were convinced that he was God's king. What they did not, could not fathom, what they did not have a category for was that God's king would be crowned with thorns on a cross. No category for this. And so Jesus comes. And he is teaching them and us that this age is marked by labor pains, by birth pains, but there's overlap of the ages. The kingdom of God is already at hand, it's already present, it's forcefully advancing throughout the world, even as the present evil age continues to rage and storm. He's preparing us for distress at all times and intensified st- distress at particular times but his life bore witness to that same pattern distress and intensified distress i mean think about it during his life it was a life of suffering through persecution and oppression and loneliness could you imagine how lonely he must have felt as the only human with no sin just living around he kept saying it once you know all the time this wicked and depraved generation like you know he felt it in his bones just being in a human body exposed to weakness and hunger distress his whole life but then at the end of his life intensified distress as they tortured and beat him and flogged him and nailed him to a cross. He showed us the pattern. Don't be surprised. But what comes after the birth pains? What comes after labor pains? The child, a new life, a new hope, a new future. For Jesus, after the cross came glory, glory. Hebrews 12, consider him who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What joy? Us, his people, cleansed, forgiven, gather for all the ages in a perfect world under the good, wise, sovereign rule of our shepherd king. For this languishing world, after the distress and the intensified distress that punctuates certain seasons, there comes a new heavens and a new earth that's where we're going so fear not dear church fear not when things get hard god will preserve his elect he is sovereign he cuts the day short he turns the tide for all of us the path to glory is through the cross there is no escaping it but glory is on the way let's pray Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. So glorious, so full. Lord, the themes that you feed us with never end. And we need all of them. Thank you for bringing them to us. Thank you for Matthew 24 and 25, preserving these words of Christ for us. Father, I pray that none of us who follow you would be unthinking Christians. I pray that we would not become evangelists for the ideology of some political group to the right or to the left or any other kind of group for that matter, Lord. I pray that we would have one Lord, one Christ. And we have his words here. And I pray that we would listen to him. We do not have to go looking for him. It will be impossible to miss you, Lord, upon your return. So help us rather be about your task, be about the mission, be about loving others with truth and grace. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for preserving us, Lord. Thank you that you do not let things get as bad as they could. I pray, Father, that we would always have our faith firmly placed in you. You, Lord, you are the one who delivers us. You turn the tide. Father, I pray that we would be amazed that we can live with so much peace as Christians. But I pray, Father, that we would know and show solidarity with the many Christians around the world, our brothers and sisters, for whom this is not the case, whose lives are risked day after day for the name. I pray, Father, that it would affect us. I pray, Lord, that it would um, stop us in our Search for comfort and excess and luxury and ease and a name for ourselves. I pray Father that we would fast now while the bridegroom is away, that we would fast, that we would put ourselves under willing discipline, so that we would not be out of shape and apathetic and anemic as lawlessness increases and the love of many grows cold. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We worship you. We long we long for your appearing, Jesus. We're excited next week to focus more on that glorious coming. Be with your church, protect us this week